0: Good evening. Uh, I am honored to get to spend a little bit of time with you this evening. If you got a Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 2. We are going to spend some time studying just a very small portion of the book of Philippians. And in Philippians 2 verse 5, Paul says these words, in your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. I want to talk tonight just about what it, talks, what it means to think and act like Jesus, to really imitate the Son of God. And I think this is very important for us to talk about because nowadays when when you talk about being a Christian, a lot of people have kind of different ideas about what that means. But interestingly, Jesus never used the word Christian. When he talked about his followers, he would use the word disciple, which was a common word in his culture. And that word disciple meant a student who is endeavoring to become like his or her teacher. And I love that definition of a disciple because I really think it teaches us what it means to be a Christian. The real center of Christianity is not about activity. Rather, it is about the imitation of and the transformation into the likeness of Christ. Being a Christian is about Being like Jesus. Now, the truth is, we all know it's a whole lot easier to just kind of show up for church on Sunday than it is to be like Jesus Monday through Saturday. It's a whole lot easier to sing songs of praise on Sunday morning than it is to praise Jesus all throughout the week in a culture that doesn't even acknowledge that that's a good thing to do or a worthwhile thing to do. But here's the problem. In my life, when I've settled for Sunday morning Christianity, I've also missed the transformation and all of the blessings that come with real Christianity. As a matter of fact, when I settled for Sunday morning Christianity, I haven't appreciated God's blessings because, frankly, I've missed most of God's blessings. I miss the impact of God in my everyday life, in my family, in my home, in my marriage. I miss all of those things that God wants to give me. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, here's what it's all about. In your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. Don't just show up at a worship service. Don't just read your Bible every day. Don't just identify with a particular world religion. Rather, he says, here's what it's all about. It's all about becoming like Jesus, thinking like him and acting like him. Now, what does that look like? Well, I wanna try to to answer that question, not completely, I'm not gonna give you a full answer this morning, but I wanna answer that question this evening by looking at what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And let me just give you kind of a spoiler alert that everything we're going to talk about really could be summed up into one simple word, and that's the word servant. Here's what I think Paul is saying, that you're neither acting like Jesus nor thinking like Jesus, no matter what good stuff you may do, unless you're being a servant. In Philippians chapter 2, Verses five through 11, Paul's gonna give us some insight into the essential characteristics of being like Jesus. And what I would like for us to do as we uh, look into God's word this evening is to really honestly ask ourselves the question, am I truly striving to be like Christ? Does what Paul say here about what it means to have the mind of Christ or to think and act like Christ, is that the way I am really living my life on a daily basis. Because again, the world or our culture kind of has answers for the question, am I a Christian or am I really like Jesus, right? And we would say, well, yeah, of course I'm like Jesus. I mean, I read my Bible. And of course I'm like Jesus. I go to church every single Sunday and Sunday night and Wednesday night. And of course I'm like Jesus. I write a check and I put it in the, in the tray as it goes by. And there's this whole long list of here's what I do and here's what I don't do. And that's what makes me a Christian. But Paul begins to describe some things that I think are much more challenging for us. They're much more about our character than just our behavior. So Do I think and act like Christ? I want to give you four things right out of Philippians chapter 2 that I think we can use to gauge whether or not we're thinking and acting like Christ. First is this, if I'm thinking and acting like Christ, then I'll be sacrificial. I will be sacrificial. I won't just give a little, I'll give it all. You know, in my job as a minister, I'm, I'm often in the role of of trying to find people to fill particular ministry roles or positions, right? We need this done, we need that done. And a lot of times what I'll do is naturally ask the question, okay, who would be good at this, right? Who has skill or ability in this area? Who maybe has training in this area? Who is passionate about this kind of thing? But what I have discovered in years and years of ministry is that the biggest challenge that you face is not about somebody's talents or abilities, Really, it's typically about attitude. It's about our willingness to sacrifice and to surrender. And the epic battle that we all have in in whatever area of life it may be as to whether or not we're going to be servants is always the battle between service or selfish. Am I going to be selfless and sacrificial or am I going to be selfish and unserving, and Paul seems to know. He kind of knows that what we're going to say in response is, "Well, I know, Paul, that that I ought to be more serving." And he just kind of says, "Listen, just get this straight. This isn't about another thing you need to volunteer for. This isn't about a request from your minister or, or something your small group leader is asking you to do." He says, "This is about whether or not you're going to be like Jesus." Are you willing to be a servant? And again, we go, well, well I'm willing to serve, but, but you know I've got all this, and, and the reality is everybody has got things they've got to do, and everybody would be willing to serve if there were no sacrifice required. But you see, if I'm going to be a servant, I've got to understand there's always sacrifice required. And Paul points us to the example of Jesus. Philippians 2, 6 and 7, in his very nature, Jesus was God, but he did not think that being equal with God was something he should hold on to. Instead, he made himself nothing. Have you ever said, you know, I, I thought about getting involved in, in this ministry or I thought about serving this person, but, but you know, I've, I just really have my hands full right now. I just got a lot going on. Well, so did Jesus. Paul says, listen, Jesus had all of heaven. He had the control of everything. He had Godhood in his hands. And yet to become a servant, Paul says he had to view that as something that you can't cling to. And the idea is Jesus had to let go of some things, some really big things, in order to come to earth. As a matter of fact, Paul says Jesus made himself nothing. He couldn't be a servant on earth and then remain God in heaven. In order to come to earth and to take the position of man, that meant he had to let go of other things. Why did he do it? Well, because he valued you and he valued me more than those things. So you see, if you're going to be a servant, if you're going to think and act like Jesus, it's not that you don't have a busy life. You know, the people that you look at and you think, man, that person is an incredible servant. I don't know how they do it. The reason they do that, the reason they can serve is not because they don't have anything else to do. In fact, typically those people are the busiest people. They can do that simply because they've made a decision to sacrifice for what they believe matters more. And my challenge, again, if I'm going to think and act like Jesus... Is about me being sacrificial. It's about me giving up my own position. Paul said Jesus had everything and he made himself nothing. And so, do I really think that I can be like Jesus and then not give up some things in my desire to serve? So, if I'm like Jesus, first, I'll be sacrificial. But secondly, Paul also says that I'll be humble. I'll be humble. You know, I don't think I've ever met a person who I would look at and say, that person is totally arrogant, and that person is a great servant. Now, I've, I've met some people who are arrogant, who are doing service acts, but, I, but I, I can't really say. I've seen somebody that I say is arrogant and a servant, right? Because typically their servant acts are self-serving rather than serving others. And maybe you know somebody like that. But here's what Paul says about Jesus, starting in verse seven. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human form. He appeared as a man. He came down to the lowest level. We need to humble ourselves. And look, humility... Humility is not thinking of myself as having no strengths or having no value. That is not humility. Rather, humility is acknowledging the truth that I have flaws, that I'm not perfect, that I don't have it all together. And when it comes to service, one of the things that I know is that the more I am arrogant, the less I'm helpful to other people. But when I'm humble, well, all of a sudden I can do things I never thought I would be able to do. Paul, who wrote the letter to the Philippians, I think is a great example of this. Paul, or Saul, as he was known before he became a Christian, he was a Jewish leader, right? Trained by the the greatest Jewish teachers of his day, very influential in Israel, and he hated Christians. He hated them. His life's work was to arrest them and and to kill them, to, to get rid of Christianity altogether. And in order for Jesus to make Saul become what he wanted him to be he had to knock him off his high horse literally he had to knock him off his horse and blind him and it was this incredibly humbling experience for Paul and as I think about that one thing that that I find very interesting or or ironic is that you would think that because of Paul's background because of his training and his teaching and his experience that after his conversion, Paul would be the perfect person to go and reach the Jewish nation for Christ. And yet when Jesus calls Paul, he says, you are going to be my vessel, but not to reach the Jews primarily, although he did that some. He says, my calling to you is to go to the Gentiles. And you think, well, why would Jesus do that? I mean, here he has this guy who seems to be custom-made to reach Jewish people for Christ, and yet Jesus calls him to go to the people that he hated even more than he hated Christians, to the Gentiles. Why would Jesus do that? What makes him think Paul would be good at that at all? And I I think there's probably a, a, a couple of reasons for that. But here's what I know, that when Paul was humbled, it instantly made him able to reach Jew or Gentile. It somehow expanded his ability to help others. And sometimes I think the difference between a lousy servant and a great servant is nothing more than one is prideful and one is humble. Sometimes the reason you're not good at something has nothing to do with your ability. Sometimes the reason that you're not good at something is because you're prideful, not humble. And when you become humble, man, all of a sudden you you become incredibly good at things. As a matter of fact, Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul says, I'm the greatest sinner that's ever been. And then in the next verse, he says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. You see, here's what Paul knew. Paul knew that wherever he went, he could meet anyone. And no matter what their sin struggle was, it wasn't worse than his. And it was that awareness and it was that humility that allowed him to connect to any kind of person. And if we understand that same truth in our lives, and and hopefully we are growing, right? Hopefully we're becoming more like Jesus every single day. But along the way, we need to remember where we came from and we need to remember the journey that we have been on because if we forget the journey, we have a tendency to become prideful and self-righteous and arrogant for, for what we have done and what we have accomplished. And when that happens, we're never going to be able to connect with or help others. Because arrogance and self-righteous doesn't connect or help. But if we humbly understand, hey, it's Jesus that changed us. If we really understand that he's the one who's made us who we are, that all of the good things that we have, we owe to, to the glory of God, then... We'll be able to connect with with the person who is most down and out and the person who is most up and out, if that's a real saying. But not only will we be able to connect, we'll be able to to bring them to something better. Because while we're humble, we, we humbly know that we have been changed by Jesus. It's him doing the work in us. So to think and act like Jesus, it means that I'll be sacrificial. It means that um, I'll be humble. But it also means I'll be obedient. I will be obedient. Look at verse 8. He obeyed God completely, even though it led to his death. You see, humble people tend to be obedient people, scripturally speaking. He obeyed God completely. Circle that word completely. He obeyed God completely, even though it led to his death. In fact, he died on a cross. It was a despicable death that was an act of complete obedience to God. And here's what I think Paul is saying and and what I think God is calling us to. You know, Jesus did not go to the cross because it was pleasant. He didn't even go to the cross because it was his choice. As a matter of fact, if you read the story of Jesus' death, hours before the crucifixion, he is in the garden and he is praying to the Father, if there is any possible way to take this cup of suffering away from me, please, please do it. But if not, if it has to be done, Not my will, but yours be done. See, here's what I knew about the human Jesus. It was not his will to go to the cross, but he did it anyway. Why? Because it was his will to be obedient to the Father. And if you are gonna be a great servant, and if I'm gonna be a great servant, we can serve for the applause of people, We can serve for recognition, but people who serve for applause are people who don't serve very long because they burn out. Applause is is a sugar high. It's kind of like a Snickers bar. Now don't get me wrong. There are a few things in this world better than a Snickers bar. They're delicious, they're wonderful, they give you energy, a quick pick-me-up. But if you try to sustain your life by eating nothing but Snickers bars, you will first get fat and then you will get sick because it's not designed in its makeup to sustain life. It is designed to give pleasure and to give a little short boost of energy. And when we try to serve based on human applause and on recognition, if you try that, if you try to sustain yourself on that, you will get thinner and you will get sicker. It will never sustain you. There has to be something more than just the applause of people. Now, we ought to applaud and recognize people who are servants. That's, that's not a bad thing. It's a Snickers bar, right? It's, it's good. We just need to understand that is not going to sustain our spiritual life. There has to be something more substantive, something more motivating than that, something that that you're taking in, something that's moving you to be a servant. And Jesus was motivated by his love for God to obey, even when he didn't feel like it, even when he didn't want to. And so Jesus prays in the garden, and there's nothing wrong with his prayer. But he says, Father, if there's any way you can get me out of this, please do. But if there is no way, then I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And, And here's what I find amazing. Do you realize that you love Jesus and you understand that Jesus loves you because he was obedient when he didn't want to? He did the right thing when he didn't want to do the right thing. And his impact in your life comes from the single moment that he most wanted to avoid in his life. But he did it anyway because it was right. And so what's the lesson in that for us? Well, the lesson I think is that there are a lot of people out there that we are never gonna impact unless we are so selfless that we obey even when it seems like we're not gonna get anything out of it. And obeying when we when we don't think we're going to get anything out of it, what God seems to do is 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 have this incredible way of turning that around and bringing something incredible out of it, whether it's into our life or into the life of somebody else. So if I'm a servant, if I'm like Christ, I will be obedient. And then finally, the last thing that I I want to talk about, the last point here may need a little bit of explanation, but but if I'm thinking and acting like Christ, I'll do and I'll be. I'll do and I'll be. And and what I mean by that is I think sometimes if we're not careful, we kind of get the idea of what God is trying to get us to do are, are some acts of service. But really what Jesus wants us to do is to be a servant. And there's a difference in those two things. If all you're ever doing are just acts of service, it it gets easy to kind of ignore the needs that that flow outside of whatever your ministry may be, whatever your act of service may be. When I was first out of college, my first job was as an intern for a a very large church. It was a two-year Internship, but if you've ever been an intern, really in any um, field, you know that interns get the jobs nobody else wants, right? Um, You know, if you if you work at a Church of Christ and somebody calls and says, "Can I speak to a pastor?" You know, they're not somebody from within your church, right? They're they're asking for something, and so those calls go to the intern, right? Or or if uh, I, I as an intern, I went to check if people were still alive. I've cleaned up all kinds of disgusting things, just all kinds of things. Nobody else wants to do, the interns do it, right? And so when when we were interns, we began this little joke amongst ourselves where if a job came up that we didn't wanna do, we didn't do the not it kind of deal that you would do on the playground. Rather, what we would say is, oh, not my ministry, right? Not my ministry. Checking on dead people, not my ministry, right? Cleaning up somebody else's whatever, not my ministry. Now, we always did it because we didn't have a choice, but that was our little joke, not my ministry. And here's what I've seen over the years. I've seen people who serve in in certain capacities when there's somebody else who needs help with something or there's something else that needs to be done. they, They certainly don't verbally say it, but internally what they say is, it's not my ministry. You've probably seen this. Sunday morning, one guy is is setting up chairs for a Bible class, frantically trying to get them out, or somebody's cleaning up a a mess in the lobby, and there's 10 other people just standing around watching. What that communicates is, not my ministry. I've had a number of instances when, when maybe somebody would come to the building, and maybe they were there for a a small group leaders training or they were there for VBS setup or whatever and and they were were sitting in the lobby just kind of talking and at some point they look around and they just kind of say, man, this, this place is kind of messy. It needs to be cleaned up. And would you like to know what I'm thinking in that moment? Why don't you get off your seat and clean it up, right? This is your church, right? Why don't you do that? But what they're thinking is, well, I'm here for VBS or I'm here for small groups or I'm here for a building committee meeting. My ministry is not to clean. Not my ministry. But here's the deal. When I'm only doing an act of service, I can miss the incredible opportunity to serve, which means I then miss the incredible opportunity to make an impact. And if our churches are only filled with people who are doing acts of service Then what we really have is a very inactive church. Because all we're doing are acts of service. You ever walked into a church and you're greeted at the door by somebody very friendly, but then you walk past the greeter into the church and nobody speaks to you. Nobody even really seems to acknowledge your existence. I've been to that church. I've been to a couple of those churches. And you say, how can that possibly happen? How, how is it that not everybody is friendly and welcoming? How, how is it that, that, that I am not made to feel incredibly welcome when I come into this place? Well, it's because the other people in the church say, well, I'm not the greeter. That's not my ministry. I, I run the sound for the worship, or I, I do a kid's Bible class, or I do this. But that's not my ministry. But you see, ministries are the building blocks But servants are the mortar that hold it all together. And so that's why you see in Scripture, God does not call you to do something, God calls you to be something. The challenge of Philippians chapter two, I think, really is found in verses six and seven. Paul says, In Jesus' very nature, he was God. But he did not think that being equal with God was something that he should hold on to. Instead, he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. Now, there's a word in that passage that's used twice. And it's translated into English as very nature. And that word in the Greek has to do with his essence or who he was at his very core. So he was, Paul says, in essence, God. At his very core, he was God. And then it says he took the form of a servant here on earth and he took the essence, the very form of a servant. And you get this idea, Jesus was always God and he was always a servant. But when he came to earth, you think, well, how how did he serve so willingly and how did he serve so many people in so many different venues? It's because it wasn't what he did, it's who he was. And so the challenge for you and the challenge for me and the challenge for your church and for my church is not just to choose to do acts of service, but to be a servant. To not just have a ministry, but to be a ministry. To look for the needs of the people around you. That's what a servant does. Now, here's the great news. The great news is whenever I become a servant like Jesus, there are some results that I get that are just incredible. You see, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul holds up Jesus as the example of what we are to be. But I believe in holding up Jesus as the example of what we should be, I think we can also understand that that if I'm like Jesus, I, I get to reap some of the benefits that Jesus reaped as well. So what are the benefits of being a servant like Jesus? Let me give you three very, very quickly. Number one, if I serve, I'm blessed. If I'm a servant, I am blessed. In verse nine, Paul says, God lifted him up to the highest place. God exalted Jesus. God involved himself in the life of Jesus to raise him up because Jesus humbled himself to serve. And I don't think that's a problem or a promise that's only exclusive to Jesus. In fact, in James chapter four, verse six, James writes, as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. What's a characteristic that's absolutely required for being a servant? It's humility, right? And James says, if I'm proud, God is fighting against me. I'm asking God, would you bless me? And God says, I'm not blessing you. In fact, I'm I'm working against you. But James says, when I humble myself, when I become a servant, God favors me. God longs to bless me. Secondly, not only am I blessed, but others are blessed. Look at verse 10. When the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone's knee will bow to worship him. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow to worship him. Now you realize that God could have forced people to their knees in acknowledgement of Jesus, right? Just by sheer brute strength and force. Did you ever play the game as kids called mercy where you would grab hands with somebody else and you would, you would try to bend their hands back until finally they had to call for mercy, right? And that was how the game ended. God could be the all-time champ at mercy. But when you force someone down, you you can force them to acknowledge your strength, but really you kind of have a hard time getting them to worship. Worship has this idea of sending kisses toward God. And what, what Paul is talking about here is that because Jesus served, people will bow. Not because they are forced to, but because they will understand who he is and how loving he is. And so they'll want to bow before Jesus. You see, there are people that you long to bless in your life the way Jesus has blessed you. And sometimes we kind of think, well, I can do that through my position and through my power and through my authority. And I'll I'll make them do what I want them to do. And Jesus says, listen, you would be a much more powerful influence if you would influence from the position of a servant rather than the position of authority. Because others are blessed when you serve. So if you want to bless your family, you want to bless your spouse and your kids, you want to bless those you work with or those you go to school with, you want to bless the people in your church, you want to influence people for Christ, then serve them. Be a servant in that relationship. In John chapter 12, verse 32 Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John goes on and and says he's talking about the cross, being lifted up on the cross. And what's amazing is that the very act that draws us to Jesus is the most abasing, humiliating act that he ever did to die on that cross. His significance in our life, his greatness in our life comes through an incredible act of service. And our significance in the lives of those we love and in the lives of those that we long to influence will come through service. But then finally, the the, the last benefit of serving is that God is glorified. God is glorified. Paul says again, verse 10 and then verse 11, when the name of Jesus is spoken, everyone's knee will bow to worship him. Every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow to worship him. Everyone's mouth will say that Jesus Christ is Lord and God the Father will receive the glory. If you understand the essence of Christianity, then you know that you and I exist to praise God. And so if nothing else happens when we serve, if only God is glorified, then that ought to be enough. But the cool thing is that I get blessed and others get blessed and God is glorified whenever I choose to be a servant. So my question for you this evening is simply this. Are you committed to being a servant? Do you understand that when you say, I'm a disciple of Jesus, that means I am a a student who is endeavoring and struggling and working to become a servant like Jesus was. Do you understand when you say, I'm a Christian, that you cannot make that statement without being a servant, And so my prayer for you tonight is that you will think and act like Christ. And that means serving. I know that if you need help with that, if you'd like to talk with somebody about that, I know somebody at this church would love to have that conversation with you. Uh, let's pray as we close. Father, we thank you for the incredible example of Jesus of what a servant was. And so my prayer tonight is simply that we will think and act like Jesus and that we, won't, that, that we won't just do acts of service, but God, we will truly be a servant like Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for us, for the way he poured out his life for our benefit, God, and may we respond in that same way for others. It's in his name we pray. Amen.